and welcome to the Innovation Forum podcast for Friday 14th of May with me, Ian Welsh. This is the 150th weekly podcast from Innovation Forum and to mark this we are pulling together a special podcast featuring some of what we think are the most interesting interviews over the past three years or so. That'll be out in a few weeks time so do look out for that. Coming up this week is a conversation I had recently with three partners on a landscape level project in Lamas province in northern Peru, a cocoa and coffee growing region. We talked about how to establish landscape level targets and develop the right goals for different actors and the sort of tools that can help. That's all to come. First up is some sustainable business news. The tea sector is set to be significantly impacted by climate change, according to a new report from NGO Christian Aid. Fluctuating temperatures and rainfall patterns in Kenya, India, Sri Lanka and China can affect the quality and yield of the crop from these main growing regions. Kenya produces almost half of the tea produced for the UK market, but it is likely to experience a loss of up to 25% of prime and 40% of secondary tea growing areas by 2050. Millions of plantation workers are facing an uncertain future. Christian Aid says that Kenya is particularly vulnerable to climate change, with temperatures in the country potentially rising up to 2.5 degrees Celsius in the first half of the 21st century. Tea is of course a major foreign currency earner for many producing regions. The Netherlands is investing around 2 billion euros into a carbon capture and storage project, Porthos, which could eventually store 2.5 million tonnes of CO2 a year. Companies at the Rotterdam port, including refineries and hydrogen producers, will capture CO2 and Porthos will transport it and ultimately store it in an empty gas field three kilometres underneath the North Sea. Oil sector giants Shell and ExxonMobil are part of the Porthos consortium. Construction is scheduled to begin in 2022. The project is a central pillar in the Netherlands decarbonisation plans, which have the ambition of a 49% cut in GHG emissions by 2030 and 95% by 2050. Fast food chain McDonald's may be forced into greater disclosure about the impacts of supply chain antibiotic use. Shareholder advocacy group The Shareholder Commons says it is going to present a proposal at the McDonald's corporate annual shareholder meeting that will require greater disclosure about antibiotic use in raising animals in its supply chain. Such use is linked to the rise of antimicrobial resistance, which in turn impacts the effectiveness of antibiotic drugs used to treat humans, of course. The shareholder Commons says that antimicrobial resistance may decrease global GDP by 3% by 2030 and by 4% by 2050. A similar proposal was filed with Yum Brands, parent of KFC, Pizza Hut and Taco Bell, but subsequently withdrawn when Yum agreed to disclose the systemic costs of its supply chain antibiotic use. The use of alternatives to animal products in human diets continues to grow and grow. Nestle has just launched Wonder, a new brand of milk made using yellow pea proteins. Plant-based milk has become a crowded sector and worth as much as $17 billion a year, according to the FT, quoting research group Euromonitor. Even at that, it is dwarfed by the annual $650 billion dairy sector. But it's certainly a sector on the move. For example, oat milk producer Oatly is looking to raise as much as $10 billion in its upcoming IPO. We featured recently in the podcast the role of electrification of vehicle fleets in getting corporate emissions down, both direct emissions and those in supply chains. Cost has been a major barrier, but further evidence that this may soon be overcome is emerging, according to a new report from Bloomberg NEF. Falling battery costs and economies of scale in production facilities are among the factors that will help make electrical vehicles cheaper to buy than combustion-powered cars this decade. And this is before any government incentives to switch out of fossil fuels skew the market further in electric vehicles' favour. The research suggests that battery prices will fall 58% between 2010 and 2030 to around $58 per kilowatt hour. Getting below £100 per kilowatt hour 
had previously been viewed as a crucial milestone. Up to now, it has been cost and concern over range that have been the main concerns for consumers and corporate fleet buyers. And with a number of all-electrical vehicles capable of 200-plus miles in a charge, it does now seem these concerns are being rapidly addressed. Coming up in a couple of weeks, from 25th to 27th of May, is Innovation Forum's Climate Action Conference, where we will be discussing over three days how to cut supply chain greenhouse gas emissions and move towards net zero. Among the expert panellists will be senior people from Nestle, Nike, L'Oreal, PepsiCo, Danone and Coca-Cola. Very much looking forward to it and tickets are still available. And we'll have a final update from Innovation Forum's Natasha Bodnar, who's leading on the project, next week. The second in this year's Future of Food conference series is next month, from 15th to 17th June. Joining us to talk about climate resilience, consumer trust and supply chain transformation will be speakers from Unilever, Mars, Boongie, Morrison's and Tesco and many more. And if you're quick, you can save £100 on tickets if you register before close of business on the 14th of May. Last week, I was lucky enough to be able to speak to representatives from three partner organisations in northern Peru who are using the Landscale programme devised by the Rainforest Alliance, Vera and Conservation International, namely Camila Olmedo Mendez from Agri Commodity Trader Ecom, Jose Carlos Apiestugi Mesa from Norandino in the finance sector, and Patricia Chiandria from Rainforest Alliance. And my apologies for any mispronunciation. Patricia, perhaps I can turn to you first. I think it'd be great to have a bit of background on Landscale. And perhaps you could then give us specifically some information about what the Rainforest Alliance and the Lamas Local Development Committee are working on in the Lamas province. It is a, Landscale is a tool that is being developed through a transparent and collaborative process to assess and communicate landscape sustainability in several distinct landscapes around the world. It drives improvements at scale by assessing the cumulative impact of all activities within a landscape. The tool includes three components, an assessment framework, a reporting platform, and a verification mechanism. The components help the private sector and also the governments and civil society supporting landscape action to access reliable information about the sustainability status of ecosystems, human well-being, governance, and production in a landscape that can improve collaboration and strategic action. If we want to know about what has RAA been doing at the LAVBAS Local Development Committee, for those who have not visited Peru, LAMAS is a province that belongs to the San Martin region, and is located in the northeast of Peru. The region produces cocoa and coffee for the global market and is rich in biodiversity and includes several traditional indigenous territories, but these are under threat by unsustainable production systems that deforest, degrade ecosystems, and threaten long-term production of high-quality agricultural products. In this province, hand in hand with its authorities and those of the five districts that make up the landscape, Rainforest Alliance is coordinating efforts to address these major environmental and socioeconomic challenges at the landscape scale. This has culminated in the development of a landscape action plan, which coordinates activities by multiple landscape actors and identify areas where additional investment is needed. Can you give us a little bit more on what this landscape action plan looks like? What are the kind of key points within it? 
One of the key objectives that we want to reach through this action plan is related to what we want to see by 2030. The plan aims to reduce poverty by 30% and improve the quality of life of at least 8,000 rural inhabitants of this pilot landscape by addressing four key areas, which are productivity, incentives, governance and enabled conditions, and ecosystems. Camila, perhaps I can turn to you now. Could you explain to us the role of ECOM in the project? Just give us a little bit of background as to what ECOM does. And what for you is the area where most improvement in the LAMAS landscape is required? And how do you think that land scale can help? Just to provide a little bit of the background of also like what's our why as ECOM operating here? Why are we involved as a private sector in this project? Is because we really want to work with key stakeholders and farmers to develop innovative solutions that will build resilient ecosystems. And we think that Landscale is doing this. So of course we want to be a part of it and collaborate. And the role that we see is that since we work directly with producers and in Peru, we have actually like a direct network of about 2000 producers. When I say we work directly with them, it means that we are collecting a lot of data from them. And a lot of data means at least like 25 components at the farmer and farm level profile. So what we believe our role can be here is that we can leverage this information to provide this data, share it in order to understand what are the risks to the cocoa supply chain that will contribute to this landscape assessment. Because we really believe that going from the farmer and farm to the landscape of the project is what's key. So that's how we see a little bit of our role here. So the second point of why we think this Lamas district is important and what is required here is that, of course, when we're talking about reducing deforestation and being able to provide a better and sustainable livelihoods for the farmers, we are talking a lot about increasing productivity, but in a sustainable manner. So we think that this tool will be able to later on attract and be able to have farmers access to credit and financing. We think this is key for the ecosystem in Peru. And then, of course, assure everything that's like monitoring evaluation at different levels of different stakeholders working in the area. Okay, thanks very much. Perhaps you can give us a little bit more of a background into the challenges you see for the farmers you work with. You mentioned you work with a number of of producers and producer communities. Is that just in cocoa and in coffee? And what are the challenges that are specific to those farmers? Mm -hmm. Well, in Lamas, we work mostly with cocoa. So... One of the big challenges that we see is access to financing and credits so that farmers can apply this to their farms, of course. We think that there's a lot of work to do here, but of course, all of this is also based on data and data collection, because what we are actually working on is getting all this data and then being able to use this to also provide what the farmer profile is. Since we work with sustainable supply chains, we also have a traceability system where we can say how much the farmer is producing on an average yield and then how much they're actually selling. So, of course, all of this information can then uh, help assess. And when we can share this, we can say that a farmer should access credit because we can see what their average productivity is, how much they're selling and how this could actually support for them to have, let's say, fertilizers on their field to increase their productivity and such. What would the farmers use use credit for? I I know that in West Africa, the cocoa farmers, often they have to replace and replenish their trees. Mm -hmm. Is that an issue for the farmers you work with in Lamas province? Or are there other things that they would use that really they need the access to finance for? 
Well, most of cacao farms in Peru are still pretty recent. So I think a lot of it is more on managing on fertilizers, accessing to organic fertilizers or fertilizers that are accepted as sustainable. This is one big thing. And another thing is something that we called recalce in Spanish. So it means like farmers should at least in their hectare have X amount of trees, like 1,100 trees per hectare. And a lot of the times they don't. So of course, if they don't have this, they're not making the productivity that they should for the hectare. And then of course, they're not making the economic gains of what they should be doing. So then a lot of the times that drives into uh, increasing the landscape or like the size of their field, but that's not necessarily like the right answer for them to be able to produce and have a hectare that's actually yielding what they need to generate their livelihood. Interesting if you're saying that access to finance and credit is a major issue for the farmers, that then leads us very nicely on to bringing in Jose Carlos. So Jose Carlos, you're with Norandino and you're involved in helping farmers access finance, I understand. So perhaps can you explain a little bit about the role of Norandino in the project and think about the biggest challenges and the areas of most improvement that you think are required? So uh, according to our partners, Norandino offers the opportunity of investment in small green credits. So Landscale and Nikon give us the information for these credits, these green credits, because these green credits oriented towards producers who promote family farming under an environmentally friendly agriculture approach. That means their farming are without deforestation, without the use of agrochemicals or pesticides. We try to do the green credit so to that families farming. The challenges, the close coordination and communication between the parties and the commitment of the producers. So we see the main challenges in that. You mentioned that you're involved in issuing and giving access to farmer communities these green credits. What's the typical size of a facility that you'd make available? And what would be the typical term of the loan? The typical size is at a little trade. So we are talking about maybe $1,000, $2,000. That depends on the campaign of the producers. It's only a month. It's a little bit, but it's, it's a year. The amount are so much bigger. The hardest is in middle of year. So a year, a middle of year, to two years. That depends on that. And you're able to take a flexible approach to the repayment terms. Yeah, it's a flexible. The people who, oh, well, the, the producers who have a commitment with the environment, so they have uh, more benefits than others. And do you find also that the farmers in this particular province, do you find that they need to have help at particular times of the year? Because often a smallholder farmer's income is very cyclical at like this. They'll get income at one time of the year and then other times of the year they won't have any income. You know, that is the time that they sometimes require a little bit of assistance. Do you help out in that regard too? Yeah, we need that land scale, the tool of land scale for that reason. They give us the data, the, the, the data for us to give a green credit. We need a really their information. I'd like to just move on and think a little bit more about the challenges of establishing landscape level targets. Patricia, what are the specific challenges in developing the right targets for the different players in a landscape? I think that the main challenge has been the alignment of landscape with the development plans of the various districts with which we work, especially during this COVID context. 
because we need to create a strategy to adapt to the context and also to keep in close contact with the stakeholders that we work within this landscape. It has been a challenge to work in a coordinated manner with various actors, participate in various spaces at the district, provincial and, and local level. So I think that the main challenges can be found in that topic, but it also represented to us like an opportunity to design new things or start working in things that were completely new for us, such as, for example, our intervention through the radio. Now we have a radio program, we have uh, newsletters, and also limited but existing face-to-face meetings always respecting the government regulations. Camilla, you mentioned in your opening remarks just now the importance of data and how you work with your network of producers to collect a lot of data points. How important then is um, having effective benchmarking around the data to monitor progress and to ensure that it is maintaining progress at a good rate? I think you like hit the spot when say like we need to have a benchmark and to have a benchmark, we need to have a baseline. Like speaking from what we do as ECOM, we actually last year did two main baseline surveys that include the area of LAMAS, where we collaborated with different actors from like research and academic apartments like Incae Business School. So through their methodology, we created baseline surveys in order to have exactly the benchmark so that we can say we want to make progress on XYZ. And I think that when we're invited to land scale, and this is something that we were talking about with Patricia the other day, is saying, how are we going to align these goals that we have? Because even though I think having the main themes, for example, reducing deforestation, talking about increasing productivity, those themes are, of course, something that we're all, yes, like nobody can debate that. But when we have to put it down into a tool, when we have to put metrics, it's a challenge. And I think that's something that we're working on as ECOM and also open to have these discussions, because I think that the more that we can discuss with multiple stakeholders, the more that we can align even on the language that we're using. And then hopefully, since this tool is just a pilot and is just starting to being developed in the context of how it was mentioned, covid Of course, we can, I don't know, five years from now, look down to this tool and say like, okay, it was pretty much aligned by different actors. And that we're seeing progress being made on these key themes that everyone agrees on. We know their challenges. We know we want to make progress there. But then, of course, when we're talking about metrics, it's the the biggest challenge that we have. One of the biggest challenges that we have in the industry, I think. Aligning data points is so important, isn't it? And it's so easy to have multiple data points all over the place and you can't compare one with another and it makes it very difficult. I mean, I guess for you, Jose Carlos, on the benchmarking point and being able to demonstrate progress, that's so important for you when you're thinking about in terms of the ability to release financial assistance, to provide credit. You need to have this information, don't you? Yeah, the main importance of this project for us is demonstrate that inclusive rural microfinance through products designed according to the conditions and rates and terms encourage the producers to improve their habits, good practices of sustainability agriculture. I'd like to come towards the end and wrap things up. And I'd like to ask each of you to think a bit about the progress that you hope to see in Lamas province and how you think that the Landscale platform will help from October when it launches the decision-making processes Jose, let's go to you first. What are the progress you hope to see and how will your decision-making processes be helped when the Landscale platform is launched? 
In this pilot, the data is the more important thing for us because we was doing a green credit in other moment, but we are alone in that moment. So with this partner, Landscale and Econ, we have the adequate moment for doing a really good thing in our environment. This information, we can do it better. Camille, same question to you. What's the progress that you're hoping to see? And from October, when you have the Landscale platform in full, how will it help your decision-making processes? First, it's going to be, we really want to collaborate more with this. We have been in recent conversations, but now we've seen like a different phase of this tool. So we're eager to collaborate more, have these conversations in order to align those main themes, but more than the main themes, also what's going to be like our goal that we're working towards too in the field. Secondly, I think that as ECOM, we're eagerly making progress as well as having that baseline and then setting those benchmarks so that we can also track our progress and see how we can participate with this tool. But that would also like show the improvements that we are making as the private sector. And last, I think that we are eager also to see how this tool can attract talent. I think that we really need talent with data, with management that sometimes is not necessarily related to cacao or coffee. So, of course, we want to attract more talent to the area, to the industry and also investment. I think that this tool should be something that we want to see. We know that there's challenges, but it will bring a lot of benefits. So if we have more investment to support the tool, to support the programs that are going to come from the tool, it's going to be, of course, a way to accelerate the progress that we want to make using this tool. Patricia, final word to you then. What are you hoping to see in terms of progress in Lamas province? And how do you see that the Landscale platform will help? We are eager to see some three key aspects at the landscape level. First, we want to continue with the fluid and articulated communication with key actors from the public and the private sector, as we see here with our partners, Ecom and Norandino, within, of course, what the COVID context allows us. We also hope to get more participation in and financing to implement landscape actions and also to start generating more actions so as to have a portfolio of investment opportunities in place. If we talk about our hopes for the platform and landscape, we have like four concrete areas in which we would like to see some progress. First of all, in LAMAS, we'll be complete and updated the baseline assessment with the landscape version 0.2 by September 2021. Then, based on the inputs of pilots like LAMAS, Landscape will be launching the tool for general use in October 2021. And when that happens, we will have the results of the Landscape assessment in LAMAS on the platform when it launches in October. So we hope the platform will help attract more support and investments through greater visibility of our landscape scale work and strengthen existing partnerships by showing the contributions of various partners to this effort. Thank you very much to you all. It's been a fascinating discussion. I've enjoyed learning more about the project in Lamas province. I hope your aspirations and the, the things you hope for will come to pass. I look forward to coming back and hearing more about it in the future. But thanks very much indeed. And as ever, look out at innovationforum.co.uk for all the usual audio, interviews and insight, including the first in a new regular series of op-eds from sustainability commentator and YouTuber Malin Baker. But that's all for now. For the 150th time, I've been Ian Welsh and I'll be back next week. Until then, goodbye.